Greetings, everyone. This is Bobby Vaughn Jr. with a call to actions. Today is a very special day as we have the one and only Dr. Chris Busby, one of the foremost scientists on the topics of radiation and how it affects the human body. Uh, he considers himself one of the last of the Mohicans in this. He's traveled all across the planet studying the effects of radiation on people. And it's, a, it's an honor to have Dr. Chris Busby here today. Dr. Chris, thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Hello. I'm, I'm great, grateful for you, to you for asking me. Uh, I'm one of the last of the Mohicans. What that means is that, I oh, see, uh, there were a lot of very, very clever and eminent scientists in the last 30 years, maybe 40 years, who opposed the um, risk model of the uh, that, that's current that, that has been used since since the development of nuclear weapons to estimate the health effects of radionuclides, of all the radio, radioactive contamination that gets pumped out of places like Chernobyl and Fukushima and and all the big big sites for production of uh, weapons material in the United States and elsewhere. Um, these these are people like Alice Stewart and Rosalie Bertel and Alexei Yablokov and uh, Carl Morgan, Ernest Sternglass, uh, uh, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of people. I knew, I knew all of them, you know. <laughs> I knew them all. And now they're all dead. So, so uh, it's only myself and, and English Mitzvah Harker, perhaps, I suppose, out of that gang that are still alive. Because, I mean, they were all older than me, and I'm, I'm getting old now, too. So, I mean, I see myself as the last of the Mohicans, but I would quite like to get some little younger Mohicans, if you like, to come along and do this sort of thing. But it, it's it's very difficult for, for young people to to work in this area because there's no money in it, you see. Um, so that's it, yeah. that's the sense in which I'm the last of the Mohicans. Yeah, and, you know, one issue that we're facing is that the younger generations would rather just... Uh, play video games rather than take on the most important situations that Earth's ever had to deal with. And uh, yeah, we definitely need to get the, the young generations interested somehow uh, because that is very important. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, just to go into some of the questions, uh, I have a few questions, but I pretty much want to keep this a conversation, not well scripted. But um, there's definitely one question, speaking of the younger generations that, that I have, is how many generations, according to what you know, what you've studied as a scientist in this field, how many generations does radiation, the effects of radiation, affect children? Yes, well, that is a good question. Um, we, uh, we, we know from the uh, work that I did on the nuclear test veterans, these, these are people who were exposed in in uh, Christmas Island in the Pacific when they were first developing the, the British bombs. Uh, I've studied their children and their grandchildren, and we know that, that the, the effects, the genetic effects in the children, which are about 10 times the expected number, so they've, they've, they're about 10 times more uh, genetic defects, birth defects in the children of the test veterans, uh, who were born when they came back from the, because the, these were all national servicemen, young men, so they were born in the 60s. Uh, their children also, so we've got two generations there. 
their children also have almost the same level of genetic damage, which was quite unexpected, you know, because we, 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 if, you, if you consider this as a direct genetic effect, you would expect it to just go down, you know, one quarter, one, one half, one quarter, one eighth, one sixteenth, and so on. Right. Um, it's in some Mendelian way, but it doesn't. It sort of continues at almost the same level. And we know why that is now. It's a process called genomic instability. So if if that if that trigger is 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 um, switched, if you like, then what happens is that the genes then just get scrambled in the generations going forward from the person that was exposed. Now, in the Chernobyl in in the Chernobyl affected territories, there was a, a big stu- a big study by a, a geneticist who worked with us called Rose Gonfcherova, and they and she studied her her, her team studied mice. Or what they call bank voles, which is a, just a small rodent lives there, and they found that these effects continued for 22 generations. Mm. So it doesn't look good. Mm. Mm. No, that does not. Uh, 22 generations, because the last I had heard, radiation affected human beings for four generations. Does that seem a little low to you? Well, I'm not quite sure where that came from, but I mean, it may be that it came from a study that only had studied four generations, right. you know, because after the human generation is 25 years and, uh, you know, radiation has really only been around in the sense that it's been contaminating people and so forth since the 19, since 1910 or 1920, you know, when it start, when all these rad- radium and uranium started to be spread all over the place. And then, of course, it really took off in the 1950s. <laughs> so you have, you've only had four generations anyway, um, but certainly uh, there's no reason. It seems to me that why we wouldn't respond in the same way as other as the rodents do. So so what so what will happen, of course, is that is that people who carry this signal, this genomic genomic signal, um, will carry it through all of the generations until the generate until until their offspring die out without issue. I think that's how it works. So that's the only way that these genetic dam- this genetic signal will get out of the human gene pool. That's a great, great point. I, I've never heard that before. Is uh, is that we have not been able to study the generations of the ones who have been affected because, yeah, I mean, it's only been around for about a century now. And well, the, the, the reason they could do the mice, of course, is because the mice breed quite quite quickly, you know, and, and you can get babies like every year. But uh, with, with with human beings, you you can't do that. You know, you have to wait significant time. Right, and and more than likely, scientists would be like, okay, let's create a computer system that could simulate it, but definitely the computer system would not be as accurate as if we actually physically studied the effects. Well, I mean, I wouldn't trust the computer system anyway, frankly. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you know, it's, of course, it's, the whole point about that sort of mathematical approach is garbage in equals, you know, and garbage out. And, uh, and a lot of the pickle that we got ourselves into over this whole business of radiation is because, because physicists have tried to reduce the... the um, the concepts down to very simple levels that they can apply mathematics to, but human beings, you know, living bodies are not like that. They don't work like that. They're much more sophisticated. They have really complicated intervention systems, like you know, gen- genetic uh, repair mechanisms and all sorts of things. So, and in fact, it, it seems that in in 
the way in which human beings are affected is, is it's not so much that the, gene, the genes are affected directly, it's just that it's the way in which it works is the, the repair system is affected. That's how it works. So, so it's not at all what, what, what would be expected. I mean, the, you know, the original risk model, the one that I attack, the one that I say is a load of nonsense, and the one that, the re, that reality, that, that empirical um, studies show is a load of nonsense, that, that risk model is very, very simplistic. All it does is it assumes human beings are like a bag of water, mm-hmm. and it dilutes the energy from the radioactive decay into the bag of water. And, mm-hmm. then, and then what it does is uh, it says, oh, well, this is your dose. And then on the basis of, the, of your dose, it equates external radiation with internal radiation. But it's quite, quite ridiculous because internal radionuclides are chemicals. They're all these different chemicals and they have different chemical effects and biochemical affinities and so forth, depending upon what, what, chem, what chemical, what atom, what element they are. This is particularly true of uranium because uranium has a very strong affinity for DNA. So it just it goes directly to the DNA and sticks on it, and then it decays and smashes the DNA up. Hmm. Yeah, I like to get into the uh, discussion of of plutonium and how it's both a radiological poison and a chemical poison. But before before that, what what are the effects on chromosomes and DNA? Um, that lead to mutations. How how does radiation create mutations in the human body? Well, what it what it, what happens is that when 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 radiation impact when external radiation gamma radiation and X rays when that impact on when those impact on the body, what they do is they break a chemical bond. The, the energy is absorbed by a, a molecule, and then that produces a fast electron. So all the effects of radiation uh, are ultimately a consequence of ionization due to the tracks of fast electrons. So, le- so these electrons are like whizzing through tissue, and as they hit things, they bounce off them, and, they, and, and energy is absorbed and breaks. A bond is broken, and you get what's called an ion, which is like a, you can think of it as like a little hot particle, a little dangerous hot reactive sub- mm-hmm. particle. Mm-hmm or molecular fragment mainly and most of these molecular fragments are fragments of water so you know water is h2o but when an, when when it, when it gets hit by an electron it becomes oh and then and then h or oh dot or hoho there are a lot of these little hot species now what they do is they then float about the place and quite quickly react with something that's next to them because they're extremely reactive. Now, if what is next to them is DNA, they react with the DNA. So they, they attack one of the, the, the bases or, or, or on the DNA spiral. And you, you know there are these different bases that make up DNA, adenine, guanine, cytosine, those things. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, it is these molecules that, that bind together and form the, back, form the, the, the backbone of DNA, you know, uh, that are, that which, which are the genes. That's where the genes are. Now, if you, if, you, if you bust up one of these things, if you react it to one of these hot water species, or even if you hit it directly with a fast electron, it changes its nature, changes its chemical nature, and the bond can break. So, in actual, so then, in fact, the DNA molecule can just crack open. Um, and, and especially true for alpha, alpha decays from internal uh, alpha emitters like plutonium and uranium because the alpha particle is very, very much more strongly ionizing than a, than a fast electron. 
And what that does is it can cut through both of the strands of the DNA. Now, the thing is, if you, if you cut one strand of the DNA, what happens is it then gets repaired because these are complementary strands. So if you like, there's a message written on one strand and, and the complementary message is written on the other strand. So it's possible to copy the correct answer back and repair it. But if you break both of them, if you, if you have a, re a really powerful hit, uh, or, or, or a, um, a track from an alpha particle or a neutron that goes through there, it'll crack both of the strands of the DNA and then there's no way in which it knows how to repair itself. So under those circumstances, you get, you, you, you get a, 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 um, a DNA mutation. You can still get a DNA mutation if, if the copying goes wrong. That's another way too. So for instance, when, when the copying mechanism comes along and tries to repair the DNA and it can't do that properly, you get a misrepair. And so that's also a mutation. So it's those mutations that, 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 that lead, to, lead to problems. Of course, they're not, they're not all likely to go to cancer. I mean, some mutations will, will just, will just not, not, not affect the system at all because mm -hmm. they'll be irrelevant. They'll be a part of the DNA that doesn't have any useful message to say. But other ones, and other ones will cause the cell to just die. And, and that doesn't matter either, of course, because dead cell doesn't go on to become cancer, although it will affect the integrity of the body and it might affect general process you know so it might make you ill but it won't go to cancer but if you if you get a, 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 a mutate the right sort of mutation or i suppose i would say the wrong sort of mutation then that can go on to form to to, to initiate cancer um of course that it doesn't necessarily initiate cancer it initiates a, a precancerous process which can then pick, be picked up by the immune system are knocked on the head. This sort of thing happens all the time. But uh, but if it's not knocked on the head, then you get a tumor, uh, and th then you're in trouble. Um, and the other thing that can happen, of course, if it's in a germ cell, then you pass this genetic mutation onto your child, onto the onto the fetus, on mm -hmm. you know through the sperm, through the egg, mm -hmm. and then the child can can die in the womb, or can come out with a congenital malformation, or can later on develop cancer. So th those are the general downstream. Issues. Germline. Yeah, I didn't know about the germline. Um, that seems uh, seems pretty common in these cities uh, where these nuclear sites reside. Oh yes, that's right. I mean that that's true. Uh, in fact, the United States, because the United States was was preeminently the the, the developer of of these weapons. Um, there are all these sites in the in the United States, like Hanford and Fernald and Rocky Flats and, and um, Portsmouth, um, all over the United States. They're places where they developed the materials for making the nuclear weapons. Lawrence Livermore. Um, mm -hmm. uh, they they um, they release this stuff to the environment. So all of these areas are, are extremely um, contaminated. And the contamination flies all over the place in the form of small particles of uranium or plutonium or um, various other downstream uh, daughters of the uranium, the uranium-235 and 238 mm -hmm. series. And there are a whole load of those. Um, and, all, and, and a lot of them are alpha emitters and they just get inhaled by people living nearby. And so you've got cancer clusters and congenital malformation clusters near nearly all of these sites. 
uh, and also near all of the nuclear sites where they have uh, where they where they make nuclear you know nuclear power stations where they make electricity those sites are also surrounded by people who are sick who, who have a higher rate of cancer I've, I've studied a number of nuclear sites looked epidemiologically and looked at levels of cancer near three nuclear sites in Britain um, Hinkley Point Bradwell and Travis Bennett and in all three of them we found uh, statistically significant excess risks of breast cancer in women living nearby over periods of time and this was using official data from from the British government from from the office of national statistics or in one case we did a we went in and we did a questionnaire study with the BBC uh, no, with, with the uh, channel 4 in, in in Wales S4C mm -hmm. And so in all of these cases, we found significant serious health effects in people living near these nuclear sites. And it's certainly also true in the United States. But, uh, but we're not, we, do, we find it very, it's very hard to study them in the States because they won't give you the data. They, the cancer registries won't release the data to small areas. So it's quite hard to do. You got to, yeah, you got to force it out of them. And uh, it's kind of sad because it's been a massive industry for, you know, going on a, hundred years or maybe even over a hundred years now and when we when we try to find the evidence on what's happening say in a certain field or a certain um, you know line of nuclear research and development or testing we we have to pretty much like pull it out of them force them to give it to us um, you know thank goodness well, thank yeah, goodness that's right well, they, they won't give it to you. I mean, I, I've never known yet anyone, um, certainly in my country or in the United States, I have not been able to find anyone who's been able to extract cancer data to small areas out of the cancer registries. Mm. Um, we can, we're going to have a go. I, I'm, I'm involved in a number of court cases in America, and we're going to have a go. But, but, but I'm, not, mm -hmm. I'm not sanguine about the results of all of this. But there is a way around, you know. I mean, it was the way that I developed for for a, 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 for examining the cancer risk near a nuclear power station in the United Kingdom, and that you just go and knock on doors. It's really quite simple, and it really freaks out the people who who, who are trying to hold on onto this data. Because see, the other thing about cancer registry data is that it's that you don't know that they're not lying. I mean, you you say how many children here with brain tumours, and they say oh four. But I mean, they could say anything they like. You know, they could say two or six or whatever they wanted or none, and you wouldn't know whether it was right or wrong. Whereas if you go and knock on somebody's door and you say, "Excuse me, uh, you know, in the last five years has anybody here suffered from cancer? What sort of cancer? How old were they?" and all the rest of it, and you also ask them how many people lived there and how old they are, then you get a base population that tells you how many cancers you would expect in that base population, and then you look to see how many you've got. It's really simple. It's a fantastically simple method. Anybody can do it. You just go and knock on doors, uh, and it takes about a couple of weeks. You you get an area uh, of about I don't know five hundred houses, something like that. That gives you a statistically significant result, and that, and that's all you need to do. I'm amazed that nobody does it. Anyway, I've done a few of those, and I wouldn't mind doing some in the United States. Uh, we would love you to do some of those in the United States, and I think you know, wink, wink you know what cities uh, to look at at the uh, at the uh, beginning of the uranium process 
That's pretty much yes. all I could say. Yes, yes. Yes. Well, one of the problems I have with all of this is actually I don't like being in the United States. I, I don't want to sort of put it down or anything, but <laughs> I find it rather a, I find it rather a scary, creepy place, you know. And, I and um, I mean, never used to. I've been here lots and lots of times, but it's getting worse and worse. And uh, it's getting more and more insulated and isolated globally. And then, of course, you've got a mad president as well. You know, and but it's not only the United States. I have to say that England also is going off its head at the moment. So I, I, I'm not sure that I want to be either in the United States or England. You know, I think I'm going to go and live up in the far, in the frozen north for a bit and just hide out. Uh, yeah, well, both the U.S. and U.K. need to come together and listen to a lot of Sex Pistols uh, together yeah. um, <laughs> and have a little party. But um, it's 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 so important that we. Um, as a younger generation to get get this information. Um, uh, going back here, uh, we talked about the, the the chemical poisoning, how when radionuclides enter the human body, they become a chemical poison. Um, what about plutonium as it being, is, is it the most poisonous poison that has ever existed on this planet? No, 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 no. I don't. So I, I, somebody said that once, and it seems to have become uh, something that's, that's repeated again and again and again. Right. The important thing, to, and, and there is a subtle point here, but it's a very important one, and that is that that the amount, the actual quantity of material that you get from a, 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 a radionuclide that is quite radioactive, like plutonium, is extremely small. It's, it's sort of absolutely vanishingly small, um, and so if you got if you got something like plutonium uh, at the level that would that would probably kill you in terms of its radioactivity, the the the, the amount of the the chemical amount of that that you would have is so small that it would have no effect at all. I mean, it's, it, you, we can if you imagine that there's a kind of plutonium that doesn't have any radioactivity then you took the same amount of that plutonium and you put it into the body uh, as as the same amount that would kill you of the stuff that did have the radioactivity, it, the, your body wouldn't even notice. The concentrations are tiny. They're like nanograms, micrograms, that kind of thing. And and, and it's it, it has a certain toxicity as a chemical, of course, but that's not the point. The, the toxicity is due to its radio radioactivity. Um, and plutonium also binds to DNA, incidentally, like uranium. And this, if you like, you know, is, is one of the most important things about uranium is it has this, it has this affinity for DNA. But of course, in the case of uranium, the amount that's associated with the, the amount of uh, radioactivity that would kill you is a great deal because it's a very weakly radioactive substance. It's got an enormously long half-life, mm -hmm. about, you know, four and a half billion years. And so, in fact, uh, the 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 radioactive the amount of radioactivity necessary to harm you is in fact um, associated with quite a lot of uranium. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to sort of you know have a teaspoonful or something like that yeah. to, to to get to get ill, and 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 that of course is quite toxic because uranium is quite toxic anyway. Yeah, even um, you know, yeah, outside of the realm of plutonium and you know transuranics and fission products, but I do want to touch on some fission products. Uh, that you're well, if you, if you take the famous for the famous fission products are cesium. I mean, these are the longer-lived ones: are cesium one three seven and strontium ninety. Okay. Yeah. Now, now, 
the, the kind of dose that you that would kill you from cesium-137 is associated with such a small amount of cesium as a powder that you barely see it. I mean, if you take all of the cesium-137 that came out of Fukushima, like the whole lot, yeah, all of it, yeah. so about 10 to, the, 10, to the, 10 to the 17 becquerels, right? That's 1 and 17 noughts becquerels. It's only one kilogram. You could, you know, you could put it in a paper bag. That's, 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 that's what you've got to realize is that these radionuclides, there's not very much of them. You, know? they, 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 you don't need much of this stuff to, to get a huge, a, a huge kick, you know, a, hu a huge sort of dose out of them in, in, in the, terms of... In, in, even in the realm of uranium, I think anyone who's done any research, you know, they, they understand that uranium is the beginning process of creating all these other radionuclides. They may, these individuals may actually take their sights off of still the, um, the radioactivity of certain uranium isotopes. Um, and living in these cities that process uranium, these families are exposed on a just beyond compre comprehension level to these radionuclides yes, well, from uranium. Living like directly across the street. There's, a, yeah. <clears throat> there's a, a lot of uranium, and, and uranium also, as, as it gets out of these plants, gets out in much the same way as depleted uranium goes around in battlefields. I mean, and I have done a lot of work studying the health effects of depleted uranium in Iraq and Kosovo and the Balkans, um, and what you have coming out of the uranium sites like Paducah. And uh, what's the other one? Um, Portsmouth and so on. The, those 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 levels of uranium are extremely dangerous. And, I, and I'll tell you tell you why <clears throat> why this is. It's it's been completely overlooked. It's been overlooked because because the, the the risk model, the radiation risk model that's current, the one that that they that they use in order to say it's safe, that one just dilutes the energy from the uranium into a bag of water. And the energy from uranium when it decays is not very large, you know, because it's it's quite a weak it's quite a weak alpha emitter. But the point is that 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 the quantity of uranium that that comes out of these places is such that that as a chemical, if you like, it gets into the body and then it it binds to DNA. It it goes into the it, it follows the calcium into bone as well. But it also binds to the DNA strongly. It has a very strong affinity for DNA. Now, it, I discovered, and this this is kind of my thing, really, um, that uranium has this strange ability to block gamma radiation, just like lead. The the absorption of elements is proportional to the fourth power of the atomic number. Now, the atomic number, as you know, hydrogen one and you know helium two, lithium, and so on, all the way up. If you imagine the periodic table, um, the, the the big heavy elements like uh, like lead and gold and and platinum and so on are down in the bottom right hand corner. And uranium is the highest atomic number of all. It's got an atomic number of ninety two. So the uranium's ability to to absorb background radiation and we're all exposed to this gamma radiation, background radiation, its ability to do that is proportional to the fourth power of 92 compared to the fourth power of oxygen, which is the main component of water, which is the main thing in the body, you see. So what happens is that uranium is the key absorber, 
if it's in your body, it's the key absorber of background radiation. Normally, background gamma radiation goes right through you. It leaves a little bit of a dose behind, but it goes right through you. But not if you've got uranium there. If you've got uranium there, that, that absorbs the X-ray, it absorbs the, the gamma ray, and it, and it then turns it into a photoelectron. So, so just like a lead apron absorbs X-rays, a, a, a uranium apron absorbs X-rays and gamma rays also, and then the energy is turned into a photoelectron. Now, the point is that the uranium is stuck on the DNA, you see. <laughs> this, is the, this is the strange, con you know, yeah. confluence of, of, of problems, that it's stuck on the DNA. It's, it's sort of focusing the background radiation directly into the DNA as photoelectrons. So it's horrifyingly dangerous. And, and when you look at, at see it, its effects in countries where it's been used, DU, you find these horrifying effects. I mean, the, the, the study we did in Fallujah, Iraq, w where we showed that the uranium was there because we measured it in the hair of the mothers of the children with congenital malformations, we, we found a 35-fold excess of leukemia in the young people up to the age of 30. I mean, these are numbers, like, unbelievable numbers. In fact, nobody believed us because they said that they were too big, but that's what we found. It was a similar sort of thing to what you find if you go around these nuclear sites where they process uranium and it all gets, you know, through the fence and it floats about the place and people inhale it. The, 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 the levels of cancer around sites like, like, like the uranium processing sites... Um, is, is, is astronomical and and of course everybody knows that i mean you, if you go and talk to those people every second person's dying of cancer young people too um they, they but nobody does anything about it because they say oh well it can't be the uranium because the dose is too low it's monstrous mm. yeah uh, we need to talk um personally on a few things outside of this interview but um um, let's just get to a question. What's, what is, just in case anyone is wondering, what are the differences, or maybe just difference, between transuranics, daughter products, and fission products? Well, oh, uh, yes, okay. Um, well, that's rather a, 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 a difficult, difficult question to to that the the, dif the differences are, are in their definition. Um, for, so let's start with fission products. That no, let's start with uranium. Okay, mm -hmm. I mean, um, the, it was first dis it was first discovered that the fission of uranium was first figured out uh, in 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 the late nineteen thirties, and it was actually affected when when uranium two three five was was um, created uh, by by its extraction from from natural uranium from Belgium or from the Belgian Congo it's brought to America and a number of scientists um, who who figured out that that if you managed to extract it you could get something that would make a bomb a, a very big bomb e equals mc squared huge amounts of energy so you need you needed a certain amount of enriched of u two three five the 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 fissile part of uh, isotope of the of the uranium mixture natural uranium consists of uranium 238 uranium 235 and uranium 234 the uranium 235 one if you get enough of it together will create enough neutrons to form a chain reaction and there'll be an enormous bang and the uh, and the 235 will split in half so that's 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 called atomic fission and that was the basis of the first atomic bomb 
Okay. So when it does that, it, split, it, it splits the U235 in half. And when you do that, you, you get a lot of um, very reactive fission products at different elements like strontium-90, cesium-137, ruthenium-106. There's a whole load of them. Um, it's all like the little bits of the uranium that you've, that you've blown apart. And those are the fission products. Now, when, it, when you first blow them apart, most of the fission products, and there's a whole list of them, are very, very reactive and very, very uh, radioactive, that is. But they decay, very, very, they decay very quickly. So in about three weeks, they're mostly gone. Then you get some medium length ones, which take a little bit longer. And then you get the slightly longer lived ones, the two main ones, of which are strontium-90 and cesium-137. Um, so those are the fission products. So if you blow up a bomb, you get all these fission products. And, they're, and because they're so radioactive, they're really quite lethal. So if you're out there and, you, and, you, and you've got all the fallout coming down and you inhale some of it or it falls on your skin or whatever, you know, you get very, very ill and you can die, as, as lots of people did yep. at Hiroshima and Nagasaki as a result of exposure to fission products. Okay, um, where are we? Transuranics. Well, well, transuranics are, are, are just artificial elements which are created as a result of very large amounts of high neutron flux in, nuc in nuclear reactions. So again, so like when you have our uranium bomb and it goes off bang, it produces lots and lots of neutrons. It, I mean, that's how it, wor it works. And the, the neutrons then interact with all the various bits and pieces of uranium that are there. And they can push the, they can push the atomic number up higher and higher and higher. So naturally, the only... The only um, the only chemical element that's around on Earth, the highest atomic number chemical element on Earth is uranium, which is 92. But you can push it up 93, 94, 95, 96, and so on, all the way up to over 100, and create new elements like this. And those elements are called transuranics, and, and, and one of them is plutonium. Uh, and they can, that's, this is produced in a nuclear in a nuclear reaction in a nuclear reactor. So, and the other one is americium-1241, which, which, which can be made in quite large amounts and which you put into um, smoke detectors. It's useful in smoke detectors because it's a pure alpha emitter. Yeah. And its daughter is neptunium-237, uh, which is another tra uh, transuranic and so on. So you've got these transuranic elements like neptunium and europium, and, and I'm not sure if that is one actually, fermium. Dis, uh, dysprosium, americium, francium, I mean, there's a whole load of them anyway. Um, and they're made in rather small quantities usually. They are artificial elements. They're created by man as a result of bombarding uranium and various other um, other transuranics with, with neutrons. And these neutrons are produced in very large amounts inside these, these nuclear reactions. So there we are. We have we have the transuranics that are formed by by bombarding uranium and 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 other transuranics with neutrons, and then the fission the fission of uranium two three five or plutonium if you and their number. I mean neptunium is fissionable as well. So when they split in half, they create a whole shower of little smaller elements, which are the fission products, and those ones are very very dangerous and, and radioactive. Um, by and large, the, the transuranics are alpha emitters, so so they 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 produce they produce al alpha alpha particles, which are helium mm. charged helium nuclei. Mm. And when they decay by an alpha emission, they change their atomic number 
by by four. So um, when americium two four one decays with an alpha emission, it it, it decays to neptunium two three seven. So you, do, you you know you just take the number four off two four one, and you get the atomic weight of the of the result. Hmm. I mean that that's a sort of brief outline of it all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What I, one thing that I've personally seen um, a lot of is uh, from data is evidence of uranium isotope two thirty four, and uh, yeah. you know as in just normal uranium, of course, three isotopes: the U two thirty four, two thirty five, two thirty eight, and two thirty eight being the most plentiful, but two thirty four comes in second. And but isn't uranium two thirty four about ten thousand times more radioactive than the isotope two thirty five? Um, it's it it is more reactive. Yes, the the the, the way you have to think about it as a re, as a series two thirty five is is a different series to two thirty eight. Two thirty four is a decay product of two thirty eight. So if you take if you take the two thirty eight series, it starts off with two thirty eight, and then that decays to protoactinium two thirty four and thorium no thorium two thirty four. Mm-hmm. So that's the first decay. It gives off an alpha particle. It decays to um, uh, is two three eight. So it gives off an alpha particle. So you've got to take four off. So then it goes down to thorium two three four, and then that decays to protoactinium two three uh, and both of those are beta emitters, and then 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 that decays to uranium two three four. Now, uranium two three four has a has a shorter half life than uranium two three eight, so it's much more radioactive. But the amount of it there is only the same as the amount of radio of the, in terms of its activity. The decay of the U two three eight results in the in in a single atom of u234 so one u238 decays and produce one atom of u234 and then the u234 then decays with an alpha emission to thorium 230 so you take four off again mm-hmm. and you go down to 230 thorium 230 is a very nasty alpha emitter you take four off that and you go down to radium 226 uh, and then radium 226 decays to produce Radon two two two. That's also another alpha emitter. And then radon two 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 decays down to. Oh, there's a whole series: bismuth two fourteen, lead two fourteen, so on, all the way down to mm-hmm. lead to lead two o six, which is stable. So this is the, this is the U two three eight series. Then the U two three five series is a completely different series. So two three five decays down to uh, two three one, and 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 we go on like that down there. So there's a whole there's a whole other load of decay products there. I think what you're thinking of is this, or, or what you might be thinking of is this, that when you when you extract uranium-235 from the mix, you know, from the ore, so you get the ore and, it, and you get a mixture of 238 and 235, and the 235 is a very small amount, a few percent, 0.3 percent or something, and so you've got to get it out. So you do that by using some method like a centrifuge or some some method that relies upon or, or sort of gaseous diffusion or something that relies upon the atomic weight of these two isotopes. So the lighter one goes goes one way and the heavier one goes the other way. Of course, the point is that since you've got you've got one uh, one one uh, activity 
of 234 for every activity of 238 and that 234 goes through with the 235 you see so when you get you when you get your 235 for your enriched uranium it contains about 20 times more of 234 and so this uh, and, and this was pointed out long ago um, with regard to fallout because Carl Morgan was one of the one of the Mohicans you know one of the dead Mohicans mm. he came along to Aldermaston in England and uh, as a result of the court cases I was doing we found a secret memo <laughs> we yeah. found a secret document that was a, an, a, a minutes of a meeting that he had at Aldermaston with British scientists and he told them then that one of the most serious hazards on the battlefield you know on the post nuclear battlefield or on the test sites after they'd blown these bombs up was U-234 so nobody had thought about that yeah. but the reason for that was that there's an awful lot of U-234 there that's mixed in with the 235 that they were using to make the bombs and 234 has some quite seriously heavy alpha em emissions so it is a, it is a, a dangerous a dangerous um, overlooked hazard yeah um, thank you thank you for going into depth on that highly appreciated uh, on the 238 now now and uh, it's probably the same way in the UK we have a massive stockpile of just leftover depleted uranium in the United States just sitting chilling at nuclear sites that have been decommissioned um, that troubles me first of all because they're just stacked in my opinion irresponsibly but according to NRC and EPA they're stacked according to guidelines um, a massive amount of uranium-238 which uh, raises a question to me that amount of U-238 could it affect the environment and the people around and is it is it possible that that transuranics could be created in these cylinders right okay good question i mean the answer is that it is just about possible that very very small amounts of fission could take place and you'd get a very small amount of transuranics i don't think that's the main problem i think the main problem is that if this stuff got out if the uranium got out and that's that then it then it would then it would be a, an astronomically awful health hazard and so some some very very uh, serious attention should be directed towards finding a way of ensuring that it can't possibly get out. I mean, I've seen these casks that contain the the depleted uranium, and a lot of them look like look like some ancient rusty sort of thing that you know yeah. from nineteen twenties. Yeah. Uh, and and of course if that and of course it's jolly corrosive because it's very radioactive apart from anything else. And we know that if you if you subject metal to high levels of radiation, you know, they corrode. I mean it's not as if you're t wondering about just ordinarily sitting there and rusting like your car might sit in the road and rust. These things are are, are going to rust or going to corrode much faster because they've 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 got uranium inside them. And in the case of uranium hexafluoride, you've got fluorine as well. You see, mm -hmm. so you've got some extraordinarily uh, uh, corrosive materials 
and and they're stuck inside and and the, these canisters are so large there's like there's several tons of this stuff inside it 20 tons or something in each canister and then if that if that sort of corroded and the stuff got out then it would blow all over the place in the wind and then it would go all around the place people would inhale it and then they would get cancer and die or, or all the other things that i that I talked about that you can get as a result of genetic damage exposure, and uranium is, the, is probably, I th in my opinion, uranium is certainly the most toxic of all the radiation hazards that there are. So some some effort needs to be put, or some money needs to be put towards a, what I would say is a repackaging system. I agree. So the way I would do this, I would take each one of these things and I would re I would take I would leave it in its cylinder, but put that cylinder inside another cylinder. And then, you know, make sure that all of them were repackaged like that into some really monstrously heavy, strong um, stainless steel cylinder. And then they were left exactly where they were, uh, you know, above ground. And the, the desire of the nuclear industry is to sort of like drop it into a hole in the ground and tiptoe away. But that's not that's not the answer, because because this stuff, this stuff has a half life of 4.9 billion years, you know, so it's re you really can't leave that sort of that sort of uh, danger to, 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 to future generations. Actually, the way things are going at the moment, I'm not so sure there will be any future generations after about 100 years. Well, we might look different, um, <laughs> given the mutations, uh, to be honest. Um, I I've seen some of these cylinders, uh, the depleted uranium cylinders, and one thing that troubles me, and one reason, one reason I actually got into this was just a uh, first-hand, face-to-face observation of how these cylinders are stored. They're stored in open air without protection to the elements. They're rained on. Storms go through in and out of the Ohio Valley region in the U.S. They're not protected, and they're stacked usually three high. And given, given the amount of corrosion that occurs on these cylinders, what business do we have in regulating nuclear energy, NRC, stacking these cylinders on top of one another? That, that bothers well, me. Well, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with you. I, I, I totally agree with you. I, the problem, of course, like everything else, is it comes back to money. Um, I mean, the money has to be made available to 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 package these things and stack them in such a way, you know, in in inside a hangar or something. But they'd have to be put in some way that they can be repackaged if necessary, or or in fact, it will be necessary at some point. But maybe, hopefully, quite a long time. But I mean, you have to say that the the the, the budget of the United States, because we're talking about the United States now, yes. the, the 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 military budget of the United States, I, I understand this year or next year will be seven hundred and fifty billion dollars. Okay, mm. and so rather than making lots of missiles to, that you're never going to use, uh, and 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 in fact, in my opinion, you shouldn't be allowed to use or even make. What you should do is divert that money to making sure that, that these sites that we've been talking about, and it's not just a case of repackaging the uranium, there's all sorts of other things that are necessary. Um, I mean, for instance, I'll give you one example. I did a court case some years ago uh, about a, a site near Los Angeles called the Santa Susana, 
rocket dying site in the Simi Valley, northwest of Los Angeles. Yes, and what they did there, and that was a that was one another one of these highly contaminated sites. All sorts of buildings were completely rotten with radionuclides, mainly uranium, and they just blew them up. You know, they just a lot dynamited them, knocked them down and sort of shoveled it all up into holes in the ground and so on. And, of course, all that time they were generating vast amount of, of dust, radioactive dust, which just blew all over Los Angeles and, and caused huge levels of cancer increase, including, including cancer in children, which is how I got into the case in the first place. And that's happening here as well. That's uh, you know that's happening all over all over the, all over America. Yeah. The, 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 these sites are getting are falling to bits and slowly. Um, hang on a minute. What's going here? And slowly decaying. Hello? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's yeah. interesting that you bring up the Santa Susana uh, rocket site. As uh, I live in Orange County, which is about an hour south of Los Angeles, and yeah, well, and we, we had it, a uh, we had a wildfire considered a wildfire uh, about six months ago that originated. The actual site of origin was Santa Susana Rocket Research Laboratory. And we received smoke plumes over the Rocky Mountains over here, um, just going over Riverside over here into um, um, into uh, Orange County. And during that time, you know, I, I don't usually get sick, very sick. I try to take care of myself pretty well. Uh, I had one of the one of the worst respiratory issues that I've had in a long time. Uh, by inhaling that smoke and I I hope that I don't have to suffer any long-term effects from uh, from inhaling that but um, well the thing is if what, what would have happened there is that if it, the, all, the whole area up there is, con is contaminated um, very badly and so the the plants up there will have will have taken up the contamination into the plants just exactly what happened in Chernobyl and so wildfires around Chernobyl, you can measure enormous increases in radioactivity in the air mm. uh, in the direction that the smoke from the fires yeah. around Chernobyl are, are, are directing or going. I mean, I've done a lot of work on, on those for the, for, for the Russians. And certainly that would be the case in, in the Simi Valley as well, in, in that site there. That site is, is, is a very dangerous site. Yeah, um... Yeah, that's just one thing that kind of troubles me just because I'm so close to it. You know, I, I grew up in Metropolis. I don't want to go into that too much. But um, are you familiar with Metropolis? Yes, yes. Okay. I, I'm involved in a, I'm involved in a, in a court case related right. to Metropolis. Yeah, yeah. righteous. Thank you. Um, highly appreciate that. Um, that's where I'm from, though. But um, one question here is something sure. that m most... Yeah, Metropolis is just another one of these. You see, I mean, they're all over the place. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're all over the place. Yeah. And what I want to do, you know, what I hope to do is, if I can convince people, if I can convince everybody that the radiation risk model is wrong, then they then they will have to start realizing that these places are really not safe at all, and that the the, the the handouts that they get from the people who operate these plants, suggesting that there's no 
no no health uh, um, problem associated with living nearby mm. uh, is is based on a load of bogus and dishonest science. Yeah, and, and from what I've seen, just to touch on it, I can't really talk too much about it, but uh, you know, um, just the general vicinity of the population to the Metropolis plant is unbelievable. Um, people live just across the street from the Metropolis plant. Yeah. That that bugs me. Um, that's uh, um, anyways. Well, one th- one, yes, I mean, well, one thing that we're trying to do, what, what what that we're hoping to do, is to investigate that that effect directly by looking looking at the uh, at the cancer rates in the yeah. people who live there. Yeah. Oh man. Um, yeah, we we need to talk personally about some of this stuff. Uh, but have you? Just, you know, to go back to uh, some of the questions that I have, um, because I don't want to talk too much about, like, what's going on in the lawsuits right now. I kind of want to speak generally on the... Well, I'm I'm not allowed to talk about what's going on in the lawsuits. I'm I'm just (laughs) saying that there is one. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, And I'm I'm glad, but... uh, um, Have you heard of what's known as Skyshine? No, you heard of Sky Shine. Well, uh, what it is? Oh, sky Shine. It's Sky Shine. Is this you saying? Sky Shine. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I might know what that is. How that, how, how depleted uranium cylinders when they're stored on a massive lot? How the neutrons actually bounce off of the clouds, and uh, and then travel well, throughout the community easier. Um. Well, I don't know. I don't know quite what you mean there. I mean, I, there shouldn't be any neutrons associated with uh, with uranium particles just floating about the place, unless they've been introduced, uh, right? I seem to be losing your connection now. Um, unless, unless the neutrons have been in, have been introduced to the system. I, I don't know. I'm not sure what you mean by that. The, 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 no new, the, 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 there are no neutrons. There is a background level of neutrons in the environment, which, but it's quite low as a, as a result of various cosmic phenomena. Mm-hmm. And, um, and neutrons can interact with uranium, but it's very, very rare uh, to produce neptunium. Well, in the case of 235, produce neptunium 237. And then that can bump up again, mm-hmm. um, but 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 these these neutron reactions are not very common, and then and they don't and, and they don't have um, at the level at which they operate, they don't have an, uh, much in the way of implications for human health. The human health the human health dangers from the, from the uraniums are are generally either alpha effects or or else if they're inside you, they're photoelectron effects. Those are the two main. Um, components of, of, of the health effects of uranium exposure. Yeah, one thing I've noticed is th- that whomever's in, involved in the placement of these plants, they place these these uranium plants, these radioactive processing plants near a body of water. Why, yeah, they have to why, do, that. why do they do that? Well, because they're, they're, chemi- they're chemical plants, you know, and chemistry requires the use of water. You, you need water for just for chemistry. 
apart from anything else, but you also need it for cooling. You, you need it for all sorts of systems. I mean, most, most factories need large amounts of water, but certainly any factory that involves chemistry needs enormous amounts of water to, for the chemical reactions to take place. Um, that makes it way so easier. That's why they need rivets. And it's much well, easier. Of course, it uses a vast amount of water, but also they've got somewhere to tip all the, all the rubbish, you know. That's the other thing. So, so if you go near any of these plants close to rivers, you find that there's enormous amounts of radioactivity in the sediment, and yes. the fish are all dead. I mean, I've done a few of those as well, studies. Yeah. Yeah, it's just one thing I was going to say is, um, yeah, it's really convenient to place these, these uh, uranium processing plants or uranium plants near a body of water because they use a lot of water. But also... It's convenient, extremely convenient, because they could easily dispose of of waste into. Yeah, sure. In, in, they're not supposed to. Outfall. I mean, there are all sorts of laws about that. They're, they're not, you know. Well, of course, they, they probably do, and and sometimes I know it's inevitable. Do. I know they do. Yeah. Well, we we know. We I remember did a case down uh, at a nuclear site in Florida. And it turned out, as a result of getting all sorts of information on disclosure, that they'd been, or maybe it was just a mistake, that they were just tipping their radioactivity into down into the sewer. You know, they, yeah. it wasn't being shipped out, and it wasn't, you know, and these, these sorts of things they do. These sorts of things, they, that the bunch of crooks, all of them. I mean, I've got it's it's just a nightmare the nuclear industry. It is. They're just it is. liars and crooks. It is. Uh, would would you? Would you consider the nuclear industry to be the the foremost corrupt and uh, deadly league of individuals that ever existed on Earth? Yes, yes, no doubt about it. By several orders of magnitude. I mean, the contamination of the planet by radionuclides um, and the destruction and the you know and the the effect that it's had on the human genome and the living system genome is the worst public health hazard of human history by far and in fact we've got we've got a we've got a at the moment well i mean nobody can have avoid noticing the the cancer epidemic uh, and the decrease in fertility and all of those things are entirely a consequence of the flooding of the planet with radionuclides as a result of all the weapons tests in the 60s um, it's just the, the feed-forward effect of that on, 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 on genetic systems. And then, of course, on top of that, you've got all of the Chernobyls and Fukushimas and, 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 and the various plants in the United States and other places like England where these substances are just released routinely under license to the air and the water all the time. Yes. And, and what this has done is it's destroying life on Earth. No question. Well, let's keep our eyes on this. Um, it, I think definitely the releases to the air and the water is something we definitely need to uh, keep watch of, and uh, you know keep yeah. uh, keep our eyes out for those those documents that come out, and uh, you know do a little research. You know after a few years of research, you're going to start finding some really really good information. All it takes is persistence and dedication, and um, Dr. Chris Busby. Thank you for coming over to the U.S. from the U.K. Um, it's an honor to have you over here. Thank you very much for your service to humanity and the planet. 
and it's it's been an honor for me to be able to interview you. Thank you. Yeah, you're very welcome, and it's good to have met you. Thanks a lot for having me. You're very welcome. Goodbye. I look forward to talking yeah. to you in the future. Okay, sure, that'd be good. Bye then. All right, we'll talk soon.